Hello and welcome to Hey, All You Zombies. My name is Chris Abel. I'm the, this week's Crypt Kicker. And my co-host over there is Mr. Richard Krause. Doing the Transylvania twist in my swiddly chair. <laughs> and, and to celebrate. And I swear, I see the thing, that, that, that skeleton waving behind you, and it's freaking me out. Ah, I think he's just happy that he's finally out of the closet. Uh, let's ask him and see what... Uh... All right, yeah. somebody, get him a drink. Well, you get him a drink and a mop. And he yeah. drinks and it goes right through. Yeah, like It's a terrible <laughs> mess when he drinks. I hate when that guy drinks. Ah, I tell you. Well, it's just I guess it's about the taste. And yet somehow he gets drunk. How does that uh, work? I uh, don't understand. Um, all right, so this week is uh, Halloween, mm -hmm. of course. And, uh, you know, we've got uh, lots of trick-or-treaters that are going to be coming to our doors very soon. But um, you're going to uh, dabble into a different world to make believe. Uh, you recently got to check out a really cool show. Is that right? Yeah, at the Tiff Bell Light Box. Uh, from now until January 20th next year, 2013, uh, is a show called Designing 007, 50 Years of Bond Style. Now, and if you're a James Bond fan, and who isn't, uh, I think you'll probably like this. Of course, it's really well-timed to coincide with the release of Skyfall, which is the new James Bond movie that's coming out uh, in a week or so, and I've seen it already, and I'm not supposed to tell you anything about it, but I'll tell you, uh, the villain, played by Javier Bardem, ranks up there with any villain. I, they could go head-to-head, -head and that's a movie. That, this and Blofeld, this guy, uh, Silva, and Blofeld in a movie together, unbelievable. I mean, Javier Bardem is one of the great Bond villains, and oh. he has he does some things near the end of this movie that are just so twisted and weird, and like uh, there, he has one line, and I can't tell you what it is because it gives away everything that comes before it in the movie. But it blew my mind, and it's still it's still uh, playing on my head a little bit. But I tell you, I went to see this Bond exhibit, and. When you first walk in, you walk into something called the Gold Room. And the Gold Room, the first thing that you'll see Ooh. is this. And this is a recreation from Goldfinger of, of course, one of Oddjob, the bad guys, the henchmen. One of his more inventive ways of getting rid of someone was to uh, paint a woman gold, and uh, she died of skin suffocation. Now, of course, that won't work in real life, apparently. No. But uh, it, it's quite a startling way to kick off this exhibit. And that disc behind her is actually a movie screen, and there's a, a clip that plays uh, behind her. So th that's very cool. So continuing on in the gold room, mm. then uh, you see uh, any number of, of things that are related to Goldfinger or Man with the Golden Gun, including the Golden Gun, which oh, is pretty nice. cool. Yeah, and uh, the Golden Gun. Three of these were made. Uh, there's a, a solid one that could be fired with a cap, and then there's one that could be assembled and disassembled. Uh, though Christopher Lee said that that process really was very difficult to do, and he, he didn't enjoy doing it on screen. Uh, but the gun was one of the more memorable props uh, in the series, and it was um, the barrel which unscrews the the trigger which comes out, and then the bullet which was secured in Goldfinger's belt buckle, and the bullet you see coming out of the of the gun here in the photograph. Mm -hmm. uh, the gun was uh, to take one single 23-karat gold bullet, um, and uh, let me see, the Golden Gun ranked sixth in a 2008 20th Century Fox poll of the most popular film weapons, uh, and uh, there were about 2,000 people that voted on that. 
And this was uh, one of three of the guns that were made for the movie, one of which was stolen. So there's really only two really in existence that you have a chance to see. So that's pretty cool. Uh, then uh, you go from that to uh, some of the other rooms, which are more sort of about the gadgets and things. And you come up with this. This is Q's <laughs> missile shooting cast. And this to me sort of, you know, is the, the stuff in the James Bond movies that when I was a kid, I really liked, but as I've gotten a little older and, and sort of expect a little bit more from the James Bond movies, this is the stuff that doesn't work for me as well now, all the kind of gimmicky stuff. And it's interesting to note that in the same room that has the cast, at the very far end, there's a little box, just a tiny little display case with all the gadgets from the new Skyfall, uh, Skyfall film. Right. That's one thing. It's a little box that you open up, and there's a gun in there and a little square that doesn't really look looks like a tiny little Zippo lighter. It's actually uh, a radio transmitter. And uh, that's it. That's it for gadgets. And I think that's why I like the direction that the Daniel Craig bonds have taken because they've gotten rid of all the silliness from the Pierce Brosnan movies. Although those movies have their pleasures, that's for sure. Uh, these movies are, are quite different. But yeah, think, at, the, uh, at the beginning, a lot of the gadgets, I think, were ideas, you know, that mm. were kind of ingenious. They were kind of made you go, huh? And then it very quickly became about gags as yeah. if Carrot Top had taken over the Secret Service. Right. And, you know, I mean, and that that just gets to be annoying and ridiculous after a while. Well, absolutely. Now, there's uh, two other, I mean, there's a lot of stuff here, but there's two other things. One, I don't have a picture of. One, they've got Jaws, uh, Richard Keel as Jaws. They've got his silver teeth. That's pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> this is also very awesome. This is Odd Job's hat. And uh, Odd Job, of course, you know, was... Uh, the villain uh, in Dr. No, and he's one of the most popular characters in the Bond series. And this hat, if you look just along the edge there, you'll see there's like a little white area. And that white area is actually a blade. And he used this uh, to kill uh, his victims. And he, he sort of shot it like a Frisbee. And uh, there's a very famous scene where he beheads a, a statue. and you know. But yeah. it's very cool that that's there. Um, so you can check all this out. It runs until January 20th. 2013 and it's worth having a look at there's a lot of clothes there's a lot of photographs there's a lot of storyboards i mean the people that produce these james bond movies unlike most movie producers that are kind of like well that one's done let's dump all the props and start on the next one they saved everything there's got i don't know where it is there's got to be a warehouse full of stuff somewhere uh so a lot of the stuff that's here uh, are the original props from the original movies about 90% of it. There are some recreations here, but uh, it is cool to see uh, the clothing. And I particularly liked watching the clothes as they evolved from, you know, 1962, Dr. No, all the way through into the 80s. There's some crazy stuff from the 80s, some <laughs> of the clothes, particularly some of the women's clothes. Uh, but it's, it's, it's very cool to see. Uh, interesting that uh, Sean Connery, and you see this uh, in, the, in the display, you see Sean Connery's original James Bond tuxedo. Now, this is the tuxedo. This is a significant prop in movie history. It's the, the tuxedo that he was wearing the first time that he ever said, Bond, James Bond, and shake had not stirred, and all that kind of stuff. 
And it was designed by a Mayfair tailor called Anthony Sinclair. And mm -hmm. it was a bespoke suit made specifically for uh, uh, for Connery. Now, Connery, although at the time, was much more of a T-shirt and jeans kind of guy. So what they said to, get, to do to get comfortable in these clothes, these very fancy clothes, was to just wear them all the time, including, and I've never heard this before, but apparently, you know, it's what they told them to do. They said, sleep in the clothes. Sleep in them, and Sleep you'll, them. you'll yeah, and you'll get you'll get to really feel like the, the the how how great they are, how how great they feel when they're when they're built exactly for your body. And uh, Sean Connery says, "I was amazed. The suits felt just as comfortable after a full night's rest." Well, I you know I I don't wear suits. Uh, I, I've never worn a dress tie. Never will wear a dress tie. You've That's never about, worn a tie. No, I've never worn a tie. Never will either. I mean, there you go. That's about as close as I get to like a superstition thing. One day right. we can talk about that. Okay. But my understanding is <laughs> um, that there is a two very different worlds when it comes to suits. There's the the suits that we kind of are familiar with that have evolved from sort of mass production. They're right. off the, the coat rack. And then there's the world over in London, England, Savile Row, yeah. uh, the bespoke that you mentioned, that are completely different. You know, forget everything you know about suits when you walk into one of those shops because that's not mass produced. That's something that is carefully crafted for each person. My understanding is at the time when you go and get a suit, you have to have a consultation first where they talk to you about your personality. Right. So they can put that into the suit itself. So I, I can imagine, uh, you know, that there, there must be all these wonderful cultural quirks, you know, go home, sleep in the suit to get used yeah. to it, you know, maybe well, give it a I, name. I, <laughs> I, I love the idea. I love the idea of it. I, I've had a, a number of shirts made for me. And they really, I mean, it, it makes a difference. Like it really does feel kind of special. And you can do all that, the stuff like with shirts, you have your initials put on the arms and all that stuff, which is, which is kind of cool. And when I was in London last time, I went to Germain Street. Uh, and that's where, that's the, the shirt makers. That's the shirt maker street. And I went into a store that's done nothing but make and sell shirts for 125 years. And it's not the only one. I mean, they're up and they're everywhere on this street. And uh, I had to buy a shirt there because you know, yeah. I needed a shirt that, from a yeah. store that's sold nothing but shirts for 125 years. And uh, it was amazing. You, you, they, they, have, they have shirts on display. And uh, you go through and you say, well, I'd like to try that one, please. And, and you don't try, unlike here, where you just take something off the rack and you take it in to try it on. They go in the back and they get one for you, which is exactly the shirt and size that you want. But it's not one that you will buy. You will never buy a shirt from any of those people that's been worn by anybody else. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, if you're buying them off the rack. Of course, then they would also make them for you. I didn't have one made for me because I didn't have two weeks to wait for it. And... Uh, a thousand dollars to spend on it, but I liked. I like. I, it's hanging in my closet over here. And I like my little Jermaine uh, Street shoot, uh, shirt. Mm, nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I, that exhibition sounds fantastic. Over the years, of course, being a tech guy, I've seen lots of exhibits and galleries right. that have been supposedly about spying, whether it's James Bond right. or real life gadgets. I have found them all to be really disappointing. Uh, right. When this one was announced, I wasn't in any rush to come and see to it because I thought, you know, but it sounds fantastic. It sounds substantial. They got the actual, you know, gear and stuff there. So, well, it's all, you know, I mean, it's it, the difference here is that it was uh, curated in London and uh, with the cooperation uh, of the people who produce the movies who have everything. 
And so this exhibit would not be possible without them. And, and it, it really is, uh, it's, it's worth having a look at. Um, before we go, this has nothing to do with anything, but it's just a picture that I want to share. Yeah. Um, because my first topic wasn't particularly Halloween-y, maybe this will make up for it. Does it, is it, it's a cat wearing a monocle and a top hat. Uh, uh, that's this awesome. Is, this is like about the fate. My fate. I don't know where it came from. This picture. It popped up on my Facebook page a while ago, and uh, <laughs> this is my favorite picture of like maybe the year. I don't know. The cat. I don't know whether it's photoshopped. I'm assuming it is. Yeah. Uh, but it's a black cat wearing a monocle and a top hat. If that existed in real life, I would have 25 cats, <laughs> and I would dress them differently, but elegantly every single day. <laughs> oh that's just wonderful yeah. and i'm sure he gets his fursuits uh over at Savile row or you well know, the, you know kitty. well he's a very uh obviously refined uh kitten so, very very yeah. dapper yes um okay so i um have two fun lists that i wanted okay. to share and uh the first one actually comes from my own library it's the call of cthulhu manual uh, now, this is uh, not uh, a collection of Howard Phillips Lovecraft's writing. Instead, no. this is a game. It's a role-playing game. It's no. a Dungeons & Dragons kind of style game, but in the world, the 1920s of Call of Cthulhu. Of HP, uh, like of H.P. Lovecraft's world, right? That's uh, correct. Yeah. Where you pretend that you're a bunch of investigators, and of course you'd have a game master that would know all the secrets of the story and slowly right. reveal them, and you get to make choices and decisions and that kind of thing. And it can be great fun, especially if you like to get dressed up in steampunk clothing or that kind of thing. Right. Um, but the reference books are always worth having because the guys who design these games do an incredible amount of research into the time to arm right. you. Like they have uh, a listing of every kind of, of automobile that was available during that period of time, what the suits would have been, what the weapons would oh, have been, cool. and the prices and all sorts of things to kind of give you as much material as possible to recreate it. But the section I love referring to is that they have put together a list of all the descriptive words that, uh, that Lovecraft ever used in his stories. Really? Really. And, and Lovecraft wow. really stood out uh, as an author who, with an extensive vocabulary, yeah. especially because his stories were about people who encountered uh, books that often had knowledge that was undescribable, right. that represented stuff that the human condition couldn't accept, that you would go insane. So he was always reaching to try to find words just to kind of describe what was going on. So I thought, I mean, it's, it's a very extensive list. It goes on for pages. <laughs> but I, I thought I'd, I'd have fun and just kind of read off a couple of them. Like here we have under I, just the, the words under I that start right. with I. We have Icarus, idiotic, illogical, immaterial, immense, immoral, incoherent, incomplete, incongruous, incredible, indistinct, infected, infernal, infested, inhuman, insane, insipid, irrational, irregular, iridescent. Wow. It's beautiful, beautiful. I like words. iridescent. I like iridescent. Yeah. Or, you know, I mean, if I wanted to describe my co-host over there, Mr. Richard Krauss, I would have the uh, option of saying that it's the rainbowed, rectangular, reeking, remorseless, repellent, reprehensible, reptilian, repugnant, repulsive, resplendent, restless, roomy, rigid, rough, rubbery, and rugose, Richard Krauss. I will accept rubbery, rugose, and repellent. <laughs> repellent? From that list. Uh, yeah, it's, it's an amazing list. I love looking oh, at it cool. anytime I try to, you know, baboon-like, baleful, baneful, fantastic. And then the second list I wanted to share, uh, there's been some research that has been done on horror movies recently. 
over at the University of Westminster. Uh, I love these experiments. I would love to do them myself. I don't know what, what funding I have to apply for. But they got 10 people, and they brought them in, and they showed them a bunch of horror movies. Right. And then they hooked them up to a bunch of uh, sensors to monitor things like how much oxygen intake, uh, heart you know, um, beat in terms of, of, of the rate and such like that, right. to measure specifically how many calories they were burning <laughs> these movies. And wow. so uh, what they have noticed uh, by calculating out the averages is that uh, generally if you sit through one really intense horror movie, right. it is about the equivalent of going for a half-hour walk or uh, burning the um, equivalent of one chocolate bar. Wow. So if you're going to watch a horror movie and you don't want to gain any weight, uh, limit yourself to just one chocolate bar during the movie and it'll all balance out. Right. And, and did it say what movies they showed they, them? They showed them 10 movies. Um, the one that burns the most calories of all 10 people there was by far The Shining. Oh. Uh, came in at 184 calories. Well, I'll tell you, you know, part of the thing, because The Shining on its surface isn't, I don't find it particularly scary. I find, I, I love some of the images in it, and I like a lot of what happens. It's the damn soundtrack that is so anxiety-inducing that, you know, it, it it's a perfect marriage, or, you know, pretty good marriage, of this crazy electronic score that I defy you to listen to without starting to go out of your head a little bit. And then these these slow kind of languorous images and, and, and a slow build towards the climax. And I, 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 didn't, I never realized it. I never realized why that movie had like such a weird effect on me until one day when I was in here and it was on in the other room. And I wasn't watching it. I was only listening to it. I'm like, it's the soundtrack. It's the crazy. It's like Eraserhead. It's like, you know, those movies like The Devils, the Ken Russell film that I wrote the book about, has these soundtracks that are geared to make you to make you respond in a way that isn't entirely pleasant. And uh, man, the, the The Shining really, really has that. Well, it's it's funny because there's sort of two results that came out of the the tests. One was, you know, the list in terms of what movies uh, consume the most calories. But they noticed that while watching a movie, the moments that would induce higher caloric uh, burning were moments that were more of the shock nature, something boom, right. coming out at you. Right. Uh, and that's funny because, well, The Shining is number one, and I don't associate The Shining with those kinds of moments. I think um, that's just a slow burn, like just the whole thing you're, you're – uncomfortable during completely uh but down at the bottom of the list would be movies that you would associate with that kind of thing like paranormal activity mm -hmm. uh, which is only 111 calories <laughs> or uh the blair witch project which is 105 calories the texas chainsaw massacre was second to the bottom at 107 really? calories uh and one of my favorite zombie movies wreck although they're not saying if it's the original spanish version mm. i think the original spanish version would be higher in calories yeah 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 you got to burn off that uh, chorzo somehow. But the, among the top list are the movies that I think most people would put at the top of their list, right. which includes Jaws yeah. at 161 calories, uh, The Exorcist at 158 calories, hmm. and, of course, Alien at 152 calories. Right. So, yeah, it's a fantastic uh, little bit of research. I don't know how scientific it really is. Well, I mean, it's, it, you know. see, I think different things scare different people, you know, so I, I don't really understand. I mean, I can understand when you say you do a half an hour on the treadmill and you're going to burn 
this amount of calories. But, you know, I, I've, I watch a lot of horror movies for my job and then sometimes just for pleasure. And I don't respond with the, you know, very often. So I don't really see how that could be generalized over for all people. I mean, 10 people's a bit of a cross section, but I mean, I would believe it more if they were, if they did it to a thousand people. Yes. You'd have to, you know, and you need something in science with the call of control, which is that yeah. you'd have to have people who are watching uh, Oprah Winfrey television specials yeah, or yeah. something like that, yeah. and then balance it out and sort of say, but I mean, obviously you couldn't do a fitness uh, plan or a club or a diet based on people coming together and watching horror movies, but Which it is interesting. Time, man. If not, yeah, like you burn off a chocolate bar watching an hour <laughs> and a half long movie. I don't know. It doesn't seem. I don't know. No, but it, it, I mean, it, it sort of becomes an excuse to eat one of the chocolate yeah. bars out of the the bowl of candy yeah. on Halloween night when you're watching yeah. a movie. Yeah. No, I'm happy with that. I'm happy yeah. with that. I I I uh, hmm, I don't know. I think for me, the idea that that something like the the Shining works, but because the Shining, I think keeps you going. I don't know that those big shocks do no. much for you, yeah. they, which I, mean, I guess re reflects where they are on the on the scale. Like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and things are, are low on the scale. Yeah, I think that their um, their theory in that the shocks cause your heart rate to go up, but. You know, again, in exercise, it's not about a quick 30 seconds. It's the endurance run. Right. And that's where right. Kubrick comes in because he can maintain that suspense uh, for a very so, long period of time. So anxiety-inducing, honestly. Well, as was uh, the storm last night for a lot of mm. people. And I don't know if you were affected by it at all. We were out. We were at a show uh, last night. And I missed a good deal of what was going on. Of course, I heard, you know, before we went in, I watched a bit of CNN, saw, you know, the horrible things that were happening in New York, the flooding and that kind of thing. And then I, I took myself out of the world for three and a half hours. And then on the, on the way home in Toronto here, just outside here, uh, it was like crazy windy. And around 11, 11.30 last night when we were getting in, uh, there was something... And I assume it was there's you know construction sites all around here that sounded like something like the beginning out of the like of of the opening of an ACDC song just clang 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 and I was I, I I hadn't yet heard about the poor woman that was killed by the flying staple sign uh, that that apparently picked up speed in the wind and hit her and 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 tragically killed her I hadn't heard about that but I thought to myself you know this is this sounds dangerous this sounds awful. Uh, so it got me thinking about the, the storm a little bit, and uh, it's also getting close to election time. And um, this, you know, the, the storm was a, a tragedy for a lot of people, and I don't want to sort of dismiss that end of it. A lot of a, a number of people have passed away, uh, including people in Toronto. One person in Toronto, thirty people, I think, in the U.S. But there are some pop culture stories that have come out of it, and I don't think that anyone could miss the irony that uh, for the new movie, Noah, uh, starring Russell Crowe, Emma Watson, directed by Darren Aronofsky, who uh, you know had a very successful movie with... Um, uh, the Wrestler and Pop. Yeah, the, the, yeah. Uh, and he's making a story about Noah and the Ark. And so they, they had to build an Ark. A lot of it is being shot on a studio somewhere, but there's a 450-foot Ark 
planted, or should I say was, floating somewhere in New York State, uh, and the storm came by yesterday and apparently tore it to pieces. I, I, it, it hasn't been confirmed yet, but they've canceled shooting for the rest of the week. Darren Aronofsky is uh, tweeting about all the movies that he's going to see. He saw The Master yesterday, liked it very much, uh, because he's not shooting. And Emma Watson uh, said, listen, I don't think that any of us have missed the irony of one of our main props uh, being destroyed in a wind and rainstorm. Uh, so there's that. Uh, the HMS Bounty, uh, which was the replica ship built uh, in uh, in Lüneburg, Nova Scotia, uh, which was also featured in the Pirate of the Caribbean movies, um, and sank and is probably laying in pieces at the bottom of the ocean now. Uh, uh, two people uh, are presumed dead. One is confirmed and the other one is missing. The captain went down with the ship. Uh, 14 other people were, were rescued. But uh, interestingly enough, the woman, uh, uh, I think her name is Claudine or Claudette uh, Christian, is a direct descendant of uh, one of the famous characters from the original Mutiny on the Bounty. And so, and she went down with the ship. She was, uh, her body has been recovered, but she, uh, uh, she perished in the, in the thing. So interesting kind of pop culture uh, add-ons to this story that just seems to have dominated the news uh, and uh, everywhere. It's all anyone's been talking about. As I look out my window now, I mean, it's, it sort of looks like a regular October day here in Toronto, but I have a feeling that uh, elsewhere uh, things aren't quite as uh, sunny and nice. No, I mean, uh, you know, sometimes we'll make light uh, because you, you get these big storms. And, of course, the uh, in the media, uh, there's a lot of guilt in terms of hyping them up because it's yeah. really good ratings. And it is. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, you are talking about Mother Nature. And the force of Mother Nature is highly unpredictable but also incredible. And you never know what kind of damage or what kind of things are going to happen. Right. I'm shocked that people are still falling for the Photoshopped shark uh, the yeah. photo. Listen, I, you know, <laughs> one of the things that that becomes uh, so difficult about anything like this is that you know you, you watch CNN, you watch whatever it is that you're watching, and you know you're getting the pictures, actual news, live pictures. But then you go on Facebook, and about half of it or three quarters of it is real, and then you get some guy that writes like, uh, "There's sharks uh, swimming down the street in New Jersey," and. You think to yourself, well, is it possible? I mean, could sharks have gotten over the water wall and now they're they're swimming? And you know, I don't think it's possible, but for a moment, it went through my head. Right. Well, I will tell you that if the only species of shark, or at least man-eating shark, that that could possibly be would be a bull shark, and even then, the, statistically, it's so unlikely. And it's just right. because of the different water systems. But it's the same shark that was used for images of here in Toronto. It's yeah, the same the picture of the station, shark that was yeah. used for Hurricane Irene. And I, I understand, you know, the, the waves of, of really uh, uneducated people on Twitter. That's me trying to be nice. Right. Um, passing on those images. But when you, I mean, I, on my Twitter feed, I had a lot of notable, intelligent people that were passing right. on that image. And of course they, they figured it out later on, but it was, it was just funny to me that, that, when you have fear, when you have uncertainty, it kind of causes us to be more susceptible to falling for gags and scams and things right. like that. And, and I, you know, throughout the year in talking about online viruses and scams, I will have people in our industry that will sort of sit there and look down and say, I don't understand how anyone can follow for that Nairobian print scam. Well, you know, right. you fell for the Photoshop shark, so you can't talk. 
Yeah, no, exactly. And, you know, I, I think it's uh, interesting, too, that if you follow people on Twitter and follow stuff on Twitter, uh, of course, last night, uh, and I mentioned earlier, there's a presidential election going on, you may have heard about. Uh, there is uh, one of the trending topics became Mitt's storm tips. And uh, Mitt Romney's storm tips. Now, of course, this has nothing to do with Mitt Romney, but, uh, you know, people just suggesting what he might say if you if you went to him. Uh, and people have written things like, if your home sustains any damage, stay at one of your other homes, which I thought uh, sounded uh, like something that maybe he could say. Um, if it's a legitimate storm, your your home will find ways to shut down and prevent damage. <laughs> um, I liked that. I liked... Um, uh, if you're running low on food and water, ring the little silver bell. And uh, other one, there was another one here, and I, I can't uh, seem to find it here. Uh, but it says um, uh, the Grey Poupon does not need to be refrigerated, which you know is is a is a takeoff of the old commercials where you had <laughs> the guy in the Rolls Royce. Right. Poupon. Yes. Do you have any so, Grey Poupon? Yeah. So it's I I I I found this kind of amusing. I mean, I I think. You know, when people are uh, stressed or if they're, you know, in terms of a little bit of humor can go a long way. Uh, and in particularly now with, you know, things that are dominating the news cycle being the storm and the election, uh, this is like that perfect storm almost of, of a meeting of the two of them right in the middle. And I thought some of these were quite funny. Uh, uh, one of his storm tips is roll up the windows on your private jet if you have to fly near the hurricane. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, um, you know, I'm not a very political person, but I do have to say that I'm disappointed sometimes when candidates show such a poor education about things like that, because he has infamously uh, criticized the aviation industry for making airplanes where you could not roll down the windows. Yeah. He felt that would be dangerous. What if there's a fire on board the airplane? Yeah. How do you let the smoke out? Well, there's this thing called atmospheric pressure, Mitt. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, I'm always, I don't mind when he gets a dig that way <laughs> yeah. no, I, I always you know, sort I, of you know be, be critical of our of people who are running for leadership when they they show such a, a poor education in terms of history geography science uh, it's something that people should be embarrassed by and more often people are not and that's 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 a disturbing trend well i think that you know that's one of the things that made sarah Pauli, uh sarah palin such a, a kind of uh, flashpoint for a while because, you know, she seems in a lot of ways, and maybe I'm wrong, but I mean, she doesn't seem to have near the influence that she did, you know, a, a couple of years ago. Um, but, you know, a lot of people liked her because, you know, she seemed down to earth and she seemed like she was no nonsense. And, you know, she said things that people wanted to hear, like, ah, no new taxes and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, on the other hand, she seemed uh, to have a knack for making gaffes uh, constantly about uh, things that, you know, you would imagine that sort of most people would, you know, most people would have an idea about. And I, 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 I have often said, uh, and here I've just found the thing I'm looking for, I've often said that people, uh, you know, say to me, like, I'm going to vote for her or this guy because they're like me. And I say, I don't want someone like me running things. I don't. I want someone who, you know, has, uh, who graduated top of the class at Harvard running things. I want people who are studied, intelligent people who are going to look at all sides of things and not do knee-jerk reactions. And, you know, it's difficult. We live in a world now where everything is so accelerated mm -hmm. that we expect 
that things are going to change overnight. Rob Ford is is a victim of this. I mean, you know, he's we've he's been our mayor in Toronto for two years, and I'm not a fan, but I will tell you that I think that he hasn't really had time to do everything that he said he was going to do because these things take a long time to wind their way through council and all that stuff. And, and so people are, are, I think, too quick to jump on this guy and say, well, he hasn't done what he said he was going to do. Well, he's trying. It takes a long time. Obama, same thing, inherits a mess. And, you know, he's given, you know, and after four years, they said, well, you haven't fixed everything. Well, no one could. Uh, Mitt Romney's stance is that he has a plan that's going to take eight to ten years to fix it. Wow. Yeah. yeah so, you know. <laughs> Uh, and, and he's saying this publicly. Now, it's interesting, though, when you talk about uh, politicizing things, Fox News uh, declared or said yesterday that after Obama declared martial law for Jersey City, right, this is a statement that they made. Obama declares martial law for Jersey City after he cuts the power and floods millions of homes. It has some people asking how long until he takes our guns. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't you know, know what and, the link is between those three events. Well, th yeah. there is nothing. I mean, MSNBC said Jersey City imposes curfew, and most of Atlantic City is underwater. There are reports that as many as 1.5 million people are without power, and 13,000 flights have been canceled. FEMA officials are urging people to stay indoors. That's what happened. Yeah. This uh, other thing is just that how long till he takes our guns? I mean, it just strikes me that there is no decency anymore and no, uh, no, I mean, people are, are too quick to uh, leap over the, uh, over the counter at you. I recently reviewed an app that's been available for the iPad that takes a look at uh, uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis, right. and specifically includes all the uh, not all, but you know the major audio recordings of JFK talking to his various advisors right. in terms of how to handle that. And it's absolutely chilling to sit down and listen to the debate of whether they initiate a first strike, right. <laughs> which is right. the end of the world, yeah. uh, in which there were lots of strong proponents. Or whether to try to go through, you know, um, uh, negotiations with the Russians, yeah. or to try to to intercept them in some other way. And listening to that, I think, really sends home the clear message that whoever you choose as a leader for a country, you want them number one to be the kind of person who can deal with that situation, right? Not just be Mr. Popular, not just represent your particular ideology, or yeah. you know be part of you represent your team in terms yeah. of the political circle no at the end of the day it's about having somebody who's really really smart and responsible and going to be able to handle challenges that no one can anticipate that's I mean, sort of uh, it's interesting that you use the word team because one of my complaints is that politics has become a sport and people take sides and no matter what like you know toronto uh maple leaf fans who regardless that they haven't won anything significant since the 60s are still buying tickets and they're going to be on strike. Millionaires are arguing with millionaires now about millions of dollars, and yet people will line up to buy tickets as soon as they go back and start playing hockey again. That's irrational love of one thing. I get it. I'm not criticizing the fans, but I don't think that belongs in politics. No, it's fine for a hobby. If you're yeah. big into sports, then that's great. Yeah. But yeah, for something that is at, you know going to have serious repercussions in terms of big major events, uh, Clint Eastwood was in a doing an interview with his hometown newspaper, talking about 
his uh, wonderful chapter, <laughs> and he used the term lefties. And right. I thought, really? You know, uh, that sort of lefties, they now use it the same way they used to say commies back in the yeah. 1960s. Yeah. You've lost objectivity when you've done that. And at the end of the day, we're all here trying to solve real-world problems, not yeah. trying to, you know, uh, entertain ourselves. I think that that's where things become lost. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And listen, you know, in terms of, of blindly supporting people, I have all the David Bowie albums even not the very good ones. There's only like one of those. But, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, I, I get it, but I, as I say, it doesn't belong in politics. No, no, I think you always have to kind of keep your head. Um, all right. Well, I'm going to uh, talk about one of my favorite topics, uh, which is animatronics. No. And uh, the world of animatronics, you've seen some pretty... So you've seen some pretty gimpy uh, animatronics here right. on the show. Uh, they're sort of, you know, the, the, the stuff that's kind of common to come across. Some specialty shops will sell this sort of thing. But right. down in the United States, there's this massive industry. There are more than 500 companies that produce this um, for various different types of industries. Some of it is that you've got farms that have hay rides and pumpkin fields, and they say, hey, well, give us some spooky stuff, and we'll make our own little sort of haunted ride. You right. have... Uh, stuff like what's at the Canada's Wonderland where they have haunted sort of theme parks that you can go into. Right. But then there are real professional sort of theme parks out there that, that will hire incredible animatronics. And so one of the, the top companies that's out there is a place called Scare Factory. And they do fantastic stuff. There are other companies out there. They'll do uh, vibrating corpses and things that sort of spew. <laughs> and what I find is that it's it becomes a variation on a theme. Every year it's a new vibrating character. Maybe last year right. it was Crazy Betty from the Asylum. This year it's the uh, convicted convict who's on death row. Right. Next year it may be just an attack crocodile. It's the same technology over and over again, but Scare Factory. Ooh, they are innovative. They've come up with stuff that is different from a technology point of view, um, but also I think just really artistically well done. And I'm just showing some of the things that they did this year. Unfortunately, we can't show videos here on Google Plus right, Hangouts. Right, right. Otherwise, I would. I'll put those links up on our website. But right away, I'll show you this. This Ooh. is a beautiful uh, dragon. And so what you're looking at here is something that you would buy, uh, and that's a real life-size door frame. So you would put this over the door to your exhibit. People wow. would have to walk under that dragon to get to it. Wow. He, his neck is completely articulated. The, it will actually scoop on down to look at you. The jaws open up. You have smoke. You have uh, artificial flame. Uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful piece. Uh, these are worth like thousands of dollars. Yeah, I was going to say, how much does something like this cost? Yeah. <laughs> this is not so much for the hobbyist. No, not so much for the hobbyist. Although I have to tell you, if I had a man cave like Guillermo uh, uh, del Toro, oh, we should put that link up. We'll put that link up on the uh, on the on the heyallyouzombies.com because that's the coolness right there. Yeah. Uh, so here we have a um, specter, and this is massive. If you look really wow. close at the photograph, uh, the the you can see image a guy on the bar. Yeah. yeah. So this is like a crane. And you've got this large specter that's on top of it and a guy who sits behind it and he puppets the entire thing so that it can actually, again, people are walking underneath it or walking by. It can reach down. It's got beautiful beacon-like eyes and the sound effects are fantastic that they actually equip with it. And they sell you the whole system. 
that goes with it. Um, in fact, that's that a good. That thing. Yeah, uh, you know, other um, animatronic companies they tend to go for gags. Right. So you know, it might be a woman that's having an abortion. It might be <laughs> that's <laughs> hilarious. Yeah, that kind of thing. Uh, one uh, distortions unlimited. They came up with a very small, cheap gag, which is a, a dog that has been run over, but has come back from the dead, and you can drag it around on a leash. Wow. So there's a lot of that kind of stuff. But Scare right. Factory, I find tends to be a little bit more artistic in the stuff that they come up with. And um, large scale, it looks like, uh, yeah. Yeah. Like this, for example, uh, here we are. This is great. So it starts off as a quaint Victorian wooden cabinet. Right. That you might have sitting in your library, for mm -hmm. example. Yeah. And as people are taking the tour through the house and they go by, the cabinet doors fly open and this big, massive, six-foot-tall vampire bat jumps out at you as wow. you go by. Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's terrifying. Very, very cool. Um, so they have, and they have a number of, of variations on the cabinet. So right. here's another variation there. Um, again, big, huge sort of Sasquatch like. Yeah, so a Yeti man. kind of thing. Yeah. Big, huge mouth. Uh, they have, uh, if you are serving a meal that particular night and it's a multi course meal, you can make sure that the first meal is served by this fellow. So <laughs> when, he, when he first rolls out that cart, you've got the little uh, silver um, um, cover on the plate. Yeah. Nobody knows. Suddenly the plate flies open and this massive beast comes yapping out. Like a half-cooked yeah. dead thing comes out, yeah. <laughs> and starts snapping its jaws. At That's you. unpleasant. <laughs> that is very unpleasant. Uh, and then let's see what else have we got here. Oh, yes. So one of the reasons I like Scare Factory is they always come up with something original every year. Right. One year they had a tunnel and it sounded like a locomotive train was coming. Oh, cool. And instead a dragon came out of it. It was right. fantastic. Another year they actually had a hearse. So it was a real live funeral hearse that would drive up and then the roof would open up and you'd see this big massive angel of death rise out of the roof, dragging the body that had been in the coffin down there, as if the coffin door had been flown open. He was grabbing the soul and raising it up to Wow, wow. Uh, just incredible stuff. So this year, their little coupe de grasse is they went with flying monkeys. Oh. Just like Wizard of the Oz. And oh, these flying monkeys terrifying. are just ripping apart some body that they have found. And they've got very realistic monkey uh, sounds. Yeah. These uh, animatronic robotic creatures are moving back and forth. And you can see the dripping organic material that's going in between them. Uh, just <laughs> uh, can you imagine going through a haunted house and coming across uh, That's you know, one of these kinds of things. Good so, lord, look at that thing! Wow. Oh yeah, I mean it's it's not you know the pleasant monkeys from yeah. Wizard of Oz. No, that these are really really terrifying. Uh, the way that they gnaw on bones and and do all sorts of stuff. Here's another one of our little monkey guys. Quite terrifying. Uh, and huge wings. I mean, Scare yeah. Factory is one of the first to actually sort of figure out how to do wings. Uh, they yeah. did a headless horseman one year that was just amazing. It actually looked like a horse, but you could see like the the, the bones of the rib cage sort of poking out. Right. Uh, here is a rather interesting comical one. So when you first see the uh, the mannequin, oh, it's a magician. Right holding a top hat and you see a rabbit sort of moving out as the rabbit disappears in the top hat the magician holds up his cape 
pulls it aside and transforms into this huge menacing half rabbit, half magician man. That's crazy. And it's just crazy. I'm going to post uh, a link to their YouTube channel as a little hot tip. The right. sound effects and the music is so frightening and unnerving. <laughs> you can use it alone just to sort of wow. have something playing at your house when the kids it's, are coming for it. I tell you, it's like the, 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 scene, the soundtrack to The Shining. It's anxiety-inducing. <laughs> Very much so. Uh, yeah, they do an amazing job. Every year they, they publish a uh, catalog, usually at the beginning of summer, right. because that's when they start taking orders for this stuff, and then they produce it. If you were to try to order something now, forget it. Uh, but, yeah, I've, one of the best of the best in the business. Certainly, you know, um, if I ever was rich enough to have a man cave like Guillermo del Toro, I would want to have a couple of their pieces just yeah. inside the home. You know, as you're walking through the door, big, huge dragon over top of the doorway. That's nuts. That yeah. is so nuts. Yeah, fantastic stuff. <laughs> well, now we have to figure out the monster of Halloween 2012. 2012, yes. And so, I, you know, I mean, I'm at a bit of a loss because we have a tie. I didn't anticipate having a tie. No. So let me uh, just pull up some things here. Well, it's now, not a three-way tie, at least. It's, it's down no. to two. Yeah. So now we're down to... Um, we are down to... So Frankenstein is out. <gasps> okay. A month ago, we started this with Frankenstein and Dracula. Frankenstein's gone. Uh, we're left with now Jaws and Alien. An alien. And so now it's interesting because it, it, it brings up a number of, of ideas. Like the Geiger alien from the movie Alien is uh, obviously a fantastic creation, mythological beast, doesn't exist in the real world or probably any world. So it's just a, it, 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 it plays on something in your mind. It sort of resembles a bug in some ways. So there's that creepy factor. Uh, it's got the two mouths and the teeth. So people are terrified of that kind of thing. Jaws on the other hand is something that does exist in the world. And, uh, you know, apparently uh, is swimming down the streets of New Jersey right now, uh, willy nilly eating people. So um, the, 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 I guess the, the idea here to sort of think about is, you know, do we want to vote for something that could actually get you the real life boogeyman or something that only exists on celluloid? Ah, yeah, that's a good question. Um, let's see. Well, I can tell you that Which Jaws, is ultimately more terrifying. Well, Jaws will help you burn 161 calories. I don't uh, know if that uh, helps us in our determination. Right. Um, you know, I, I here's the test for me is that we've seen a lot of Jaws sequels and knockoffs. Right. And I think beyond the first one, um, the, the rest of them are not scary at all. I think that yeah. they've been very laughable. But even when Giger's Alien has been reproduced multiple times, it's still, I find it gives me shivers. It still yeah. falls me. I think that Sharks always are fascinating. Will always sort of, you know, yeah. uh, get you in the, the, the spine. But there's something about Giger's design that even when it's just a small little bobblehead, right. still kind of unnerves me, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, because, you know, I, I think when we started this whole thing, I uh, told you that one of the scariest movies that I've ever seen is In Cold Blood. And that's because, uh, for me, that could actually happen. 
random violence to me is more scary than a vampire or a, you know, or a werewolf or something because I'm pretty sure they don't really exist. Whereas, you know, <laughs> uh, the, the idea of greedy, nasty men uh, who can do bodily harm to you do. So um, my feeling, this might end up being a tie again, damn it. My feeling is that it's Jaws for me. It's Jaws for you? Yeah. Mm, well, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, it can go either way. But um, I haven't seen Jaws recently. I saw, I've seen snippets of it, and right. it is a masterful film. And I it think is. That, um, here's what I'll say. I'll agree with you. I think Jaws is the winner. Okay. And for, for two reasons. One, you're absolutely right that Jaws is based on a realistic sense of what we think of as being a monster. Yeah. It wasn't accurate as we have since found out, but right. it was very realistic. And I think that yeah. it, it ties to a real primal fear. For some reason, sharks is one of those fears that I think we are born with. <clears throat> right. And it has something to do with, I think, our evolutionary background. Right. But also I think that of any movie that is out there, Jaws has by far and away the best presence in terms of always being there, foremost in your mind, something right. that you're, you're looking for. Even that scene where they're sitting there around a table talking, and it's a long scene, it's a big chunk of the movie at yeah. night. Uh, the first time I saw that, I was obsessed with the idea of why are they just looking at each other? Isn't somebody constantly looking at <laughs> the porthole for like a window. pair of yellow barrels yeah. that are coming by? Like, right. yeah. I mean, there is not a moment in that movie in which I'm not constantly thinking about where Jaws is or what the shark is right. or, or what's happening. And I think it's it's also one of the few uh, killers or monsters that's in the movies where we have a, a, a connection in terms of what we're thinking. We kind right. of think what Jaws is thinking, not in a, in a conscious sense, but right. in terms of that we can relate to the fact that an animal's in the water and it wants to eat us. Yeah, yeah, Whereas yeah. with other uh, monsters, including Giger's alien, we're not quite sure what it wants. Right. Us. It doesn't right. want to eat, doesn't want to mutate, doesn't want to you know, uh, breed with us. So, yes, I think that we are in agreement that uh, for 2012, the, the monster of October of Halloween is, is Bruce. It's Jaws. It's Something that could really come get you. Yeah. The, as the Australians say, the white pointer. Uh, yeah. You know, the, the incredible, one of the, the greatest, I think, organisms on the planet and certainly in the water, uh, the great white shark. Sure. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, all you zombies. Uh, check out the website, heyoyouzombies.com. We'll be back next week. We'll have a new poll, a new month. Yeah. That's something uh, interesting happening. And um, we're going to post, uh, we've mentioned a couple of times here, Guillermo del Toro's Man Cave. If you haven't seen this place, you have to see. I mean, this uh, to me is uh, where uh, I would like to live. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know. Well, I, he says at one point, you know, what you're going to see here is tentacles, steampunk, <laughs> and yeah. skulls. And I thought, hey, that sounds awesome. Wicked, yeah. That's my usual Friday night. Let's, yeah. uh, you know, I'm hanging out there, no problem. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. I've heard of his man cave, I've seen photographs of it, the video that we'll post, the tour. It just blew my mind away. I mean, yeah. it's one of those ones where you can freeze frame. And stop and go, oh, look, it's slick. Oh, I know. It's really cool. Uh, Chris Abel has frozen. And uh, I think we're probably, you, you, you know the deal here. Come back and see us next time. New month, a new poll. We're declaring Jaws as the creepy crawly of Halloween 2012. 
And uh, we're going to post some cool links at heyallyouzombies.com. So be sure to check that out. Uh, we're going to say sayonara. We'll see you next time. Happy Halloween.